Welcome to Final Girl Friday. My name is Molly, and I like scary movies. Tonight's topic is perhaps the ultimate love letter to such movies, Behind the Mask, The Rise of Leslie Vernon. Mr. Vernon! Hey! Ah! <laughs> <laughs> I'm just messing with you. And I'll be taking a look at some of the things that make this film so special with my friend Ryan, whose Leslie Vernon cosplay is actually what led me to seeing it in the first place. I'll wrap up with a few fun facts about the film that got cut for time, but before we can dive into it, I do have a couple of quick points of interest. Firstly, we have to talk about the full trailer for the new Child's Play series, because fucking hell, guys, oh my god. Look at that. Someone took the butcher knife. <laughs> I can't remember ever feeling so excited about a sci-fi channel series. And I mean, of course, with Mancini at the helm, with Brad Dorff back as the voice of Chucky, and the volume of original cast members returning overall, I think most of us uh, have already had high hopes for the series. But for me personally, seeing this new trailer, I am pumped. The doll looks amazing. The humor seems to be right in line with that of the film franchise. Uh, it looks violent. It looks campy. We have Devin Sawa playing a creepy janitor, one of my absolute favorite tropes. And the story seems like it's going to be so much fun. It it took a turn into puppet show territory that um the ventriloquist dummy episode from the first season of Buffy, presumably without the twist, in a way that I wasn't expecting. I can't calm down. In fact, I love the trailer so much. I don't even care that it was scored with those obnoxious staccato strings that every horror trailer of the last two years seems to be scored with. So if you haven't seen the full trailer yet, I highly recommend stopping everything you're doing, going to YouTube, and giving it a watch because wow. Secondly, for my fellow Jaws fans, if you were ever wondering whether or not someone would turn the Jaws log uh, into a musical, you're in luck because that's exactly what's happening. Robert Taylor and Richard Oberacker are currently reimagining the book, which is one of the greatest books about the making of a movie ever made, in my opinion. Uh, they're reimagining it as a musical entitled Bruce about, uh, yeah, the making of Jaws. Uh, it's set to premiere in Seattle in 2022, and I am so stupidly happy about it. Bruce. How could it not be amazing? For a little recommended reading, over at Bloody Disgusting, Rob Breton brings us the decade of grief horror, reflecting on shared themes in the horror movies of the 2010s, which looks at films like Hereditary, The Babadook, The Black Coat's Daughter, and likens the last decade of horror to one of several stages of grief in a way that makes perfect sense and kind of blew my mind. In the article, Breton says, most analysts find that there are many stages to grief. The first stage, most commonly, is the initial shock from the incident. Once the individual realizes the dangers of reacting this way, they tend to reflect and often feel guilty, which commonly leads to depression. Who's to say that this decade of horror isn't, in some ways, an emotional response 
to all this shock. I have to tip my hat to Breton, because this is brilliant. I hadn't even considered grief horror as a subgenre. It's I find that fascinating on its own, but exploring the previous decade of horror and viewing that transition as one into a, a new stage of grief is just, yeah, it's fucking thought-provoking. <laughs> I would also like to offer a hug to everyone who sent me links to the new Dr. Hill Head in a Tray ceramic mug from Middle of Beyond. <laughs> I love all of you so fucking much. Yeah, this Head in a Tray mug is spectacular. I had never heard of Middle of Beyond. Um, they have some really fantastic tiki mugs, actually, not just the new reanimator-inspired one. They also have um, like the nurse from Eye of the Beholder. They have the Necronomicon from Evil Dead 2, uh, Slimer from Ghostbusters, <laughs> and they're all just beautifully made. But yeah, I think uh, the new one, Dr. Hill's Head sitting in a tray. If you are interested, they range in price from uh, $40 to $50, depending on which version you get. There are three different versions. And yeah, they're, they're great. Check it out if you can. It's middleofbeyond.com. I think that's all I've got for now. So it's time to dive into the movie. If you're new to this podcast and you don't hate it, stay tuned until the end of this episode for information on Final Girl Friday elsewhere. And as usual, if you haven't seen Behind the Mask, The Rise of Leslie Vernon from 2006, proceed with caution. There will be spoilers ahead. All right, so Behind the Mask, The Rise of Leslie Vernon, set in a world where uh, all of the slashers of the horror films that we know and love are real people, and it is their job to kill and maim and terrorize and follows a, a documentary crew um, around as they follow Leslie Vernon, an up-and-coming slasher, part mockumentary, part straightforward horror film. And this is one of your favorite films, right? Yes, by far. What was your first experience with it? Like, when did you see it for the first time? I actually was thinking that before the episode. I'm like, when did I see this? Uh, <laughs> I don't think it came out on theaters. I could be wrong. It might have went into local theaters. I, I watched it back in, I think, 2010. The mask is what drew me in. Because honestly, like Michael's mask is iconic being Captain Kirk. Jason's mask is iconic being the hockey mask. And I seen this one and I'm like, this looks weird. And then, <laughs> like just the whole name of the behind the mask, it reminded me a lot of Alice Cooper's song. And I was like, I love Alice Cooper. I love that song. And I'm like, you know, I'm going to give this a shot. And then when it opened and it, you know, started talking about being in the same universe as all these people. And I'm like, what? This is so cool. How has this not been done before? Yeah, no, God, that's so true. So you didn't know you went in kind of blind then? Oh, you... totally blind. Yeah, I was pleasantly surprised on how well they made this movie. And it's still, I think, criminally underrated. It's brought up on the occasion by somebody like you can watch like a TikTok of somebody recommending it every now and then, but doesn't have a cult like following like a lot of films. No, it's so true. And I, I you know, because I just saw this film for the very first time, like a couple of weeks ago. It had been recommended to me a couple of times here and there. But sure. when when I saw your cosplay of Leslie Vernon, I it just the presentation was really, it cracked me up. I was very entertained and it really made me want to watch the movie. That was the reason I made those because I've I seen tons of people, like you can go through TikTok and see probably 500 to 1,000 people dressing up as Michael or Jason or Freddy here and there. But I, I only seen one other kid dress up as Leslie Vernon. And I'm like, you know, I want to embrace this as a whole profile. So I figured <laughs> why not? No, I think that's fantastic because you're right. It, it is criminally underrated. And I know I'm kind of new 
to the, the Behind the Mask Appreciation Club, but I feel like Leslie Vernon deserves to kind of live alongside a lot of those other classic slashers, not just because he he was kind of you know up and coming in, in the world where all of them existed in the film, but just because I, I think he's a really fucking interesting character. You came to me to find out how guys like Mike and Chucky and Freddie do what they do, not why. I can't just sit here on the first night I ever met you and explain it to you. It's got to come from your own understanding of the process. I remember listening to a lot of interviews and stuff of Scott Glosserman, the director, like they were talking about like the script itself. And that's really what drew a lot of heavy hitters, like how I mentioned this film's in the same universe as all these characters. Well, a lot of those actors are in this film, which even the director was very surprised (laughs) that he could uh, (laughs) land such heavy hitters. I mean, it wasn't necessary. But when I when I saw Kane Hodder, when I saw Robert England, you know what I mean? It oh, just yeah. All, it just keeps sort of building the the excitement throughout the film um, that you're seeing these really familiar faces. Scott Wilson. Oh, yeah. Scott Wilson. Rest in peace. The one that caught me off guard, because I think like when I started watching it, I had the connection of like somebody mentioning that there was going to be a huge cameo. So I was expecting like when I seen Kane, I'm like, oh, there he is. Yeah. Um, I didn't expect to see Zelda Rubenstein. Yeah. Yeah. That was like moment <laughs> she's such a brilliant actress that i to bring up criminally underrated again i think she carried a lot of the gravitas of like the poltergeist series oh. let alone like just just the small five ten minutes that she was in this film it really kind of wove the whole like horror meta-ness i guess is what you can call it Beneath a blood-red harvest moon, he murdered Silas at the hand sites, buried his body in the fields, and dragged Molly from the house, hanging her in the farm's apple orchard. One of the things that I've been sort of saying about it since I saw it was that I have I have never seen a film that is more of a love letter to the horror genre than this film. And part of that is evident with the casting. There's obviously a lot mm-hmm. more happening, I think, that makes it such a, like, a, a passionate love letter to the genre. But yeah, just that casting, it was perpetually surprising and, and very rewarding and really just kind of helped realize that world. Even the small things, honestly, like Taylor standing in front of the Red Rabbit pub at the very beginning. Yeah. And I'm like, if anybody knows Halloween, you know, like, that's a staple. <laughs> It was cool to see that being tagged and then many other things like obviously we talked about it's in the same universe as uh, Halloween, Jason Voorhees, Chucky, everything. But all the small things like I don't know if you noticed he was putting on his makeup and getting ready to be Leslie Vernon. Uh, He was listening to the same song from The Shining. Yes, yes, I did notice. (laughs) So that was was super cool. And then obviously Robert Englund's character being uh, Doc Holleran. That's pretty obvious. That's very on the nose. Having only seen it a couple of times, I know that there are probably just oh, yeah, a ton of references that I've missed. But I, I caught that. I caught his turtles. Church and uh, Zoe. Yeah. Zoe, yeah. Yeah, that was probably my favorite part. <laughs> yeah, it was a great reference. And the puzzle box from Hellraiser on the table at Eugene's house. That was really cool. <laughs> See, my embarrassing thing, I've never noticed that. And when oh, I was... Really? I've seen this movie at least 10, 15 times, and I was looking at some like behind the scenes stuff, and then I seen that, and I'm like, how did I miss this? It's just one of those things yeah. that there's so many cool things in it. Sometimes you can just overlook a really oh, awesome detail. Yeah, I love that, though. It really lends so well to rewatches. You know, oh, yeah, yeah. You know, you're, you're going into it, not only you're going to get to, you know, 
go through the story again and experience that again, but you're also probably going to catch some things you missed. <laughs> oh, yeah, definitely. I was going to say, if you have a favorite character in the film, which one do you kind of gravitate towards as one of the pivotal centerpieces oh. of the film? Well, so I was definitely really into the librarian simply because I, I grew up just enchanted by Zelda Rubenstein and I, I wasn't expecting her to have a cameo as a librarian nonetheless. You know, I thought it was so fitting. Uh, so I really enjoyed her. I, I loved Robert England as Doc Halloran. I thought that was a stroke of genius. And and I love Leslie. I think my favorite characters uh, would be Taylor. I, I think she's spectacular. And then was it Todd, the guy who drove the van? Yeah, Todd was one of them. And then uh, I think Doug was the other one. Yeah, I'm pretty sure Todd was the other guy that I really liked. He gave me uh, like really strong Kenny from Scream vibes or um, <laughs> sure, yeah, I can see that. Prom Night. Yeah, like I really have a thing for for that type of character where they're like not quite in the forefront. They're a little bit smarter, but not smart enough. And they, they're driving the getaway van. I don't know what it is about those kinds of characters, but I really sure. Like yeah, I really liked the confrontation between he and Leslie specifically. I loved that moment between the two of them. There's usually the duo of I don't wouldn't say they're like the Shaggy and Scooby. I would say <laughs> that they're the Shaggy and Scooby of this movie for sure, where like they're the the buds that have all the jokes. But yeah, yeah I, I really enjoy them as well. I totally agree with you saying Taylor is a really strong point. I think the funniest thing was it took me a long time to realize that she was the young girl from Home Alone. Yeah, the, the, the one. It's Les or the French that I slaughtered right there. You're what the French call Les Incompetents. What? When I was reading through some of the trivia of the film, I read that apparently the mittens that she's wearing in the film are the exact same pattern as Kevin's hat in Home Alone. <laughs> I, think I didn't I know that. <laughs> that, that's pretty cool to them yeah. have that connection. Yeah, I didn't even notice that either. They just threw in everything but the kitchen sink in terms of the referential, you know, humor. And they're probably like, yeah, this is going to get at least one person to notice. And, yeah. and her, Angela Go Gothals, I think is how you pronounce her last name. I had actually only ever seen her in television. I know I, I saw her in Home Alone when I was a kid, but I haven't seen Home Alone since I was a kid. So I, my memory of her is just almost non-existent in that film. But I had seen her in television here and there. And I always thought she, she just, anytime she was, you know, like a, a one-shot character on a TV show that I was watching, she would always just come in and nail it. She was so good. And I remember thinking, you know, God, I wish I could see her in more. And it just, it made me so happy to, to see her with such a huge role in this. And then not only that, but the significance of the role, because I think it's such a unique character story. And being a little obsessed with the final girl trope, she's probably one of the best characters I've seen in, in years. <laughs> oh, definitely, yeah. He got what he wanted from us, Dougie. Oh, we, we built up his, his story for him. Now I'm editing it. I have to mention Nathan Basil. Like, oh, yeah, for sure. He, like, if we're talking about great, like, he carried the film outside mm -hmm. of Taylor. Like, Taylor and him just being the two pillars of this film, I think, really helped guide it along. Seeing that Nathan, the whole first half of the film, maybe even three quarters of the film, he's one guy and then you just see him transform into Leslie Vernon for the most part. It's so cool to see like somebody go from like happy-go-lucky guy to psycho murderer real fast. You watch Friday the 13th and like Jason's not going to talk to you. <laughs> or the <laughs> same thing with Michael. Like Freddie will joke with you, but for the most part, I mean, obviously outside of the first two Nightmare on Elm Streets where it's more of a serious tone, Freddy's a jokester and it kind of starts off as a jokester for Leslie and then it kind of gets a little bit more serious. You find out a little bit more about his backstory. I, I was so thoroughly impressed with him in this film and my main question, like 
the main takeaway for me from the film is why isn't he in everything? You know? Yeah. <laughs> he's such a charismatic man. He's not into himself either. He's not like, yeah, I was, I, I carried my weight in this film and I, I'm the best. He, he's not that at all. I remember somebody was interviewing him and he was saying like, how did you prepare for like Leslie? Like after you do the documentary stuff, how did you get to switch from like that to that? And like, he was so humble he was like anybody can do what i did as leslie he's like when i was doing the comedic stuff when i was doing the mockumentary parts i was just myself and then when it went to leslie's like i i was just anybody can do that part and i'm like what (laughs) (laughs) you crazy man like to have the like the look in his eyes and stuff like i don't know he did such a good job it it just carries and it's a cool dude in person too i met him at a local comic-con last year before covid hit and like one of the nicest guys i've met many horror icons over the years i met kane i met tony todd daniel harris heather langenkamp i would have to put Nathan Basil and Michael Berryman, who is from Hills of Eyes, two of the nicest guys that would want to sit down with you and talk if you had the time. Yeah. Uh, he appreciated that I was dressed as Leslie Vernon because I went cosplayed as Leslie because I wanted to meet Nathan, of course. And I had him sign uh, Iva's mask. I had him sign the inside of that mask. And hopefully it doesn't wear off because of sweat because it was just a Sharpie he signed it with. And then he signed. Uh, I have this little prop that I got. There's a Facebook group called Before the Mask, which is was the the hopes of the sequel they had a script written and everything the writer from the original leslie vernon he already had a script written out and he was so ready for like that sequel to happen which it never did happen but anyways the second thing i had him sign was a little heart from that facebook group they posted saying like hey we have a lot of this promotion material that is just hanging around in a box collecting dust do you guys want to buy it for like 10 bucks so I was like, yes, please. Also, another crazy shout out to Nathan was uh, when I posted my original picture, because, of course, you got to post stuff on Instagram after you go to a convention. Oh, or it and didn't I, happen. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Like, <laughs> so I posted like a picture of like me meeting him because I took a picture, obviously, with him after the signatures. And then I also did like a picture before I went to the convention. And he actually commented on my stuff. And like me being a fangirl, I was like, oh, my God. He's just like, oh, it's cool meeting you, man. And I'm like. Ah, you had to been humble, dude, just to be like, hey, I have fans and they like me and he should definitely be in more slasher films. It's so funny that you say that about him, you know, just feeling like during the mockumentary parts of Behind the Mask, he was just being himself. They could not have picked a better person to play a charming serial killer like Leslie Vernon, because, yeah, if, if that was just him being himself, he's one of the most charming people I think I've ever seen. Why don't you live here then instead of so far out of town? Because I can't. Because as far as the town of Glen Echo is concerned, I'm dead. (laughs) Remember? Yeah. If this is where I'm going to reappear, I can't exactly be seen mowing the lawn. It works so well. You really just, you fall in love with him. You get like completely sucked into his whole thing, just like Taylor does, you know, and and, that, and that's one of the brilliant things about the film is you're having such so much fun with Leslie and you're getting swept up in his excitement about what's going on, you know, as he's stalking his final girl and setting up all the pieces and, you know, and getting ready to, you know, have this huge, this rising star moment as a slasher. And you you forget that what he's actually doing is, is he's, he's preparing to murder people. And the yes. as Taylor kind of really begins to 
to get pulled down by the weight of that reality. The audience does as well. And it's just, it's so brilliant. And they couldn't have picked a better fucking person because he's just so charming. He allows you to forget that. <laughs> yeah, I think that's, and that comments so much on today's landscape of killers in general and the fetishizing of the serial killer for the last, oh man, 30 years, I would say, with the, man, I can't think of his name. There've been so many documentaries about him. Ted Bundy. Uh, oh yeah, Ted Bundy. They're making a new movie with Elijah Wood. About yeah, <laughs> which about I'm not him. surprised. Like the guy was a piece of shit, and yeah. <laughs> <laughs> let's be real, he was a piece of shit. Jeffrey Dahmer was a piece of shit. Charlie Manson was a piece of shit. They're interesting just because like the human psyche being able to do stuff like that, but it really shows like the cult of personality some dude can have over this final girl, Taylor. She basically is like falling in love with him, where it's mm-hmm. kind of like a love letter at the end and everything. And then what happens to him, the heartbreak and how it's not even really Leslie Vernon. It's just a just a guy, Leslie Mancuso, that's uh, playing Leslie. God, it's truly brilliant. And I'm gonna probably going to say this several more times, but I just can't believe that people don't talk about this movie more because it's unassuming because you don't expect it to be as artfully done getting into it you just think oh this is a really fun kind of lower budget you know, mm-hmm. meta horror film and then you realize as things progress you're like jesus this is deep it goes deep <laughs> you know? oh yeah you used me how can you even think this is about you though this is this is my life taylor this is my life there was another interview I was watching that Scott was talking to another podcast host and he was just talking about like the complications of a script like this. And he's just like, you can only do it so much. And he was talking about how like the sequel, how I mentioned earlier that they want to do a sequel and it was going to be called before the mask and it was in talks. They turned basically that sequel into a comic book series, which I am actually waiting on the comics coming in the mail. I found it on eBay there's a six part series because they couldn't, they didn't meet their uh, Kickstarter. They were trying to raise 500,000. I think they only got like 250,000. And so they weren't able to get the funds that they wanted to do for the sequel. And they decided, to do it a comic book series which don't get me wrong i like my comic book series but it would have been cool to see everybody come back yeah it's always bittersweet when that happens i feel that way about the final season of the buffy the vampire slayer tv show like i'm glad that we got a continuation of the story in comic book form but it would have been really nice to actually get like an official eighth season so i get it (laughs) yeah Yeah. my same feels towards ash versus Freddy vs. Chase. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Would have been so cool to see Mr. Campbell talk to Robert Englund and just talk shit for a good two hours. Oh, sure. God, it would have been great. So going back to your question when you were asking about my favorite character, so is Leslie your favorite character in the film? Honestly, I think so. My favorite part of the film is Leslie when he's talking to uh, Scott Wilson playing Eugene in the film. Just the banter of Scott and his wife and Nathan. And Nathan's like almost like an adopted child. And he's like a protege of Scott Wilson's character, who Scott Wilson was, quote unquote, an old serial killer. But I would I would say Leslie's my favorite. Him and Taylor being the two pillars of the film, just the dynamic seeing them evolve through the whole thing. It's cool to see it come full circle at the end. I think he's a great choice as a favorite character. I would say he is probably my second favorite, you know, right behind Taylor. The only reason why I would put Taylor above him even is just because I love that journey of the viewer becoming the, the final girl like I think that that is brilliant and and you know it just speaks to me on a very personal level but I think I mean Nathan is just he's a powerhouse in this film well if someone comes in and sees two horrifically mangled bodies they'll run screaming from the house I'll lose containment way too early let's talk about favorite kills if you're cool with that what was oh, your sure. 
What was your favorite offing? Uh, well, okay, now this is going to be a really lame answer because the kill itself is not that exciting. But when I was mentioning earlier that I really liked the character of Todd, the guy who drove mm-hmm. the van, I really enjoyed the that kill simply because of what it represented for us as an audience. To me, him killing Todd was the moment where he really went from being this charming center of, of the story that we have been following with, you know, wide eyes and a giant smile this whole time. That confrontation between Todd and Leslie was the moment where it, it really got dark. And I, I appreciated that kill. I felt like it was a really important kill. But the kill itself was not super exciting. So I feel like that's a lame answer. But that was my favorite <laughs> kill in the movie. <laughs> I don't think it was a lame answer. I think it was a great answer because I, I totally agree as an important offings in the film. I think that one is probably the biggest because you're like, hey, he, he used to be my buddy. He's like, come on, man. And then yeah. it shows that full transition of like, oh, shit, he's Michael Myers. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. And you keep thinking that maybe like through that whole scene, my first time through, I kept thinking, well, he's not going to kill him again. Why would I think that? Of course, he's going to fucking kill him, you know, but in the in the moment I was waiting for that, that sense of relief where he would realize, oh, okay, you're not a part of this. So I I don't I don't need to kill you. And no, he fucking kills him. And I I love that. I think that that's yeah, it it was my favorite. What about yours? Uh, The post hole is probably one of my favorites. All the other kills were good but i think that one stands out to me just because one i didn't really care about the dude that played that but he was kind of like the stoner i guess he was the stoner jock of it because they still had the like the tropes like every horror film this movie comments on pretty much everything and yeah just showing the sheer brutality of the post hole digging like i've never seen somebody use a post hole digger to like out somebody's heart i love (laughs) gore every now and then senseless gore i did remember and this isn't a complaint about the film anymore means i wished that there had been a bit more just like all out chaos with the blood and and not necessarily gore but like i i had expected it to be a bit of a bloodier film i was surprised how kind of toned down it was compared to other films like it like you know like hatchet or or even tucker and dale versus evil i totally agree uh i think some of it had to do with like their production costs there's like a behind the scenes if you have like the blu-ray version it's like a 50 minute behind the scenes documentary and they talk about like the i think it was doug's kill no it wasn't doug's kill it was one of the other stoners he wasn't the jockeyish stoner he was the other stoner i don't remember his name (laughs) uh but he was in the driver's seat trying to get away and they break through the window and he like snaps his neck and i remember in that documentary he was just like it was such an easy kill we didn't have to get a stunt double we didn't have to get the effects crew he's just like just a neck snap it was so easy and affordable and i'm like i can see uh, where they kind of limited their uh, effects budget. I mean, you only have so much money for production on the occasion. I'm not saying it's a good thing or a bad thing, but yeah, you could have had some little bit more gore for like taking somebody's heart out. I glanced over here at the the page. There are two characters in this film who <laughs> their their actual names in the film are Stoned Guy and Slightly More Stoned Guy. So <laughs> I, don't, I don't think that they had names. So, <laughs> so the, the Stone Guy, I would imagine, is the one that gets killed in the driver's seat and the Slightly More Stoned Guy, I think, <laughs> is the, the jockish stoner. I feel bad that we haven't really talked that much about that friend group, you know, the sort of, I, I guess, you could say generic slasher friend group. They were all really good, I thought, especially Kelly, Kate Miner. I, I thought that she did a good job, you know, for why she was there. Well, this is my fault because I'm sexually active. I am sorry I'm not a virgin! 
they're great, but they are kind of disposable. <laughs> <laughs> they are disposable. It reminds me a lot of the group that they did for uh, Cabin in the Woods, where yeah. like they, they picked every kind of person. But it was cool that they did with Kelly's character, where you think that is the final girl. It really throws the slasher genre on its head. Like, don't judge a book by its cover, blah, blah, blah. Yeah. <laughs> No, absolutely. I, uh, that, I'm glad you brought up Cabin in the Woods, though, because I also wanted to ask, because I, I feel like this film and Cabin in the Woods are especially unique. I feel like they, they're sort of set apart from almost all other horror films that I've seen in that either one of them could canonically explain the existence of all of the other horror movies that we've seen. And I was just wondering if you had an opinion on which explanation you like better. Do you like the Cabin in the Woods explanation or do you prefer the the Behind the Mask? I would have to go with Behind the Mask just because uh, I love horror and everybody assumes that because I love horror, I believe in the supernatural. I think that aliens exist. I think all of these things, (laughs) which... I would love to believe all said things. I don't hate on anybody that believes in the supernatural and stuff. Everybody has their own lives that they live and see some strange things. But I like the more realistic scenario of Behind the Mask where it's just some nut that decides to be a local legend and has his own Ahab being Robert Englund. I like that where it's not too supernatural obviously i don't know if you stick around for the credit roll but if you watch the full credits basically it shows the morgue and it shows leslie sit up at the very end which (laughs) i mean yet again another love letter to many horror films oh he even does the michael myers sit up (laughs) of course yeah the (laughs) the classic sit up but just that like he had a fire retardant on him that was like the kind of green stuff that he put on him and he gets burned at the end of it it kind of alludes to maybe he did survive it it really explained them away Exactly. So everything's explained versus where, yes, it's explained in Cabin in the Woods, but like they actually have real zombies that they have just in cages and stuff. So both are good takes on it. But I like Behind the Mask. I'm not sure. What is your favorite? I think I, I'm I'm with you. I, I I think the behind the mask explanation for me, it feels a little bit more grounded. It feels a little bit more fun. The puzzle box from Hellraiser on Eugene's table is the only thing that really gives me pause. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, two things that I feel has always kind of set me like on the sidelines within the horror family is I'm not obsessed with serial killers. Like I don't have same. I'm, yeah. Like what you were saying earlier. And also I don't believe in the supernatural either. I don't believe Thank in you. ghosts. <laughs> yeah, no, you're not alone in that. <laughs> I can really enjoy a good ghost story. But same. more often than not, the reason I think I prefer slasher films is because I actually believe that they could happen. Yeah. <laughs> scary thing in the world. And I also really like the idea, just the, the absurdity of being a, a legendary serial killer like Jason Voorhees uh, being a job, you know, something that is yes. actually like a trade. I think that that's fucking hilarious. And so <laughs> yes. I, I really like Cabin in the Woods, but I too prefer the behind the mask explanation. <laughs> yes, this is by far like I, I know we talked about our appreciation of it, but like you mentioned how you said like Tucker Nail versus Evil, which is another great horror comedy. This is definitely horror comedy by far. Like it's, oh, yeah. it's, a, it's a slasher film, too, but it's first and foremost it's a horror comedy and it starts that from the very beginning but yes i i think treating it like mr wilson taking it to like he's the old dog and he is retired from killing like retired from killing (laughs) (laughs) and i love that he his wife was some i love the references to like how he and his wife got together and it really makes you wonder i have so many questions about eugene and yeah because his wife wife was the final girl like that could be its own spin-off you keep us posted on it. Oh, Eugene. Help me again. 
if they had the time and had the money to do it, like that would be a very interesting, like even if it was a comic book series, they could still do that. Maybe they do that in the comic book series. I haven't read the comic book, so don't judge me on that. They probably do talk about it a little bit because I remember seeing, I think the fourth comic has them on the cover. So just the final girl falling in love with the killer almost happened in this one too. So it kind of happens almost twice in the same film. It's so smart how they do that because in setting up that Eugene fell in love with and ended up actually marrying his final girl and he retired with her, it was very smart. Yeah. (laughs) It's a smarter film than it lets on. There's a lot more to this film than just going in to watch it and being like, yeah, this is just a kind of cheesy horror film that gives nods to the old ones. Yes and no. Like, it definitely has more depth to the script than I think most people can uh, give it. Oh, I completely agree. And I love Tucker and Dale vs. Evil is definitely one of my absolute favorite horror comedies. It's much more of a popcorn film. It's a brilliant popcorn film. Oh, Um, definitely. (laughs) <laughs> but it is much more of a popcorn film. This, I feel, is a, it's a bit more thought-provoking. It doesn't have to be. I think that you can easily take behind the mask on its surface. Oh, yeah. It. Yeah, the same way you would, like, Tucker and Dale or Zombieland or something. But if you want to, if you can walk away from this asking a lot of questions. <laughs> yes. In reality, aren't you talking about terrorizing innocent people? No. <laughs> no. Why? Why? Why is that funny? Look- Oh, shit. Okay, this is super relevant. So I actually messaged Scott Glosserman on TikTok or on Twitter yesterday at 9.07. He actually just responded. Oh, my God. (laughs) So I basically put, Scott, I want to thank you for making Behind the Mask, The Rise of Leslie Vernon. It will forever be in my top five horror films. You did a great job and it still holds up in 2021 because I rewatched it for this podcast. And he (laughs) said, so kind of you to write means a lot to me, truly. So like. Small thing. I mean, he didn't say anything revolutionary to me, but him responding to a random Twitter message of a fan, that's super cool. <laughs> Literally just uh, have that come through. So That's fantastic. <laughs> I am so glad that you cosplay as Leslie Vernon and that for whatever godforsaken reason, I decided to join TikTok two weeks ago. It, <laughs> it, it, <laughs> if, if for no other reason, I'm so glad that it led me to this film. Like it. I love it. It's probably going to sit toward the top of my list of favorite slashers now for a while. thank Ryan again for joining me and sharing some of your thoughts on this gem of a movie. I know our conversation was cut way down. We talked quite a bit more about a variety of slasher films, as well as the glorification of serial killers and uh, some convention experiences we've had. But it it was just such a blast sitting down and talking with you for so long. And then to anyone listening, if you have a TikTok and you are not following Leslie.Vernon, I highly encourage you to do so. His content is, to me, some of the most entertaining on the platform. I just, I get such a huge kick out of this guy. Before I wrap up tonight, I wanted to share just a few of my favorite fun facts about the rise of Leslie Vernon. First of all, the town in which the film is set, Glen Echo, is based on a town in Maryland, uh, which was pretty close to where Scott Glosserman, who wrote and directed the film, grew up. And in Glen Echo, there is apparently uh, a somewhat famous amusement park that is believed to be haunted. Scott Glosserman's production company, which is Glen Echo Entertainment, the logo for that company contains a carousel, which is a reference to 
the amusement park. During our discussion, Ryan and I touched down on how we both love the grounded nature of Behind the Mask as a canonical explanation for all other horror films, which I, I still believe is true. But as I mentioned, the presence of the box from Hellraiser definitely suggests some kind of magic might exist in this universe. Uh, additionally, there are a couple of Nightmare on Elm Street references. Here on Elm Street, in the suburban community of Springwood, a murderer's repeated attacks have left a psychological scar so deep, some insist that simply dreaming about him can kill you in your sleep. When the documentary crew accompany Leslie to the school, you can see in the background three girls playing jump rope, and the address of the house into which we see Kane Hodder walking for his cameo is 1428 Elm Street, which was Nancy's address in the original Nightmare. Lastly, the character of Eugene, who, as previously mentioned, was played by the late Scott Wilson, is rumored to be an older version of Billy from Black Christmas. And while most people view Leslie's real last name being Mancuso as a hat tip to Frank Mancuso Jr., who produced most of the Friday the 13th films, Mancuso is also the last name of the uncredited actor who played Billy. So there may be something to all those rumors. It's, that's all I'm saying. Thanks so much for listening, guys. If you have thoughts on Behind the Mask you'd like to share, please feel free to reach out to me. There are a couple of ways you can do that. You can look me up on the Slasher app or TikTok. My username is Final Girl Friday, Instagram at Molly Oblivion, or if you prefer old school correspondence, you can email me at finalgirlconfessions at gmail.com. If you'd like to support Final Girl Friday in a monetary way, you can head over to buymeacoffee.com forward slash Final Girl Friday and pitch in a movie or two, but no pressure. As ever, I'm just happy you guys are here and listening. I hope you all have a fantastic weekend. I'll be back next week with Josh Bragg, the host of Haunting Season, to talk about his very first viewing of the Slumber Party Massacre. In the meantime, stay safe, stay sane, do not underestimate the importance of cardio, and until next time, creep it real. <laughs> <laughs>